morning. My name is uh, John. I'm one of the pastors here at Indelible Grace Church. Sorry, just getting situated. We have misplaced temporarily our lapel mic, so somebody can give me a nod if I wander too far away from the microphone, because I have a tendency to step backwards. So feel free, if you're here in person, to give me a nod if all of a sudden you can't hear me. As it's been said, we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Deuteronomy this morning. And throughout the book of Deuteronomy, we've had a lot of an emphasis on recounting the history of Israel as they're preparing to enter the promised land. And so it's mainly a book of reflection that turns into a book about directions of what they're actually supposed to do. And lately, um, something that I found myself reflecting on uh, last weekend, um, throughout the the last couple years since my son was born, I found myself going to more and more zoos than I think I ever have up until this point in my life. My son deeply enjoys the zoo, enjoys aquariums. So even like last week, we traveled to Minnesota to visit family, and we found ourselves wanting to take him to the zoo so that he could see different types of creatures. And the thing that I found myself reflecting on, um, this was two Saturdays ago now that I was walking around the Minnesota Zoo for the first time, is how many of the different animals were marked. They, they were, the goal was that they would actually be re-released into the wild. And I think if you had that thought walking around the zoo, and perhaps you've seen this in some ways, even at like an aquarium, Oftentimes what happens at an aquarium is that if they have otters, the otters aren't simply given food in a bowl like a lot of the other creatures because the, the goal is to actually rehabilitate and release them. They're actually given their food in very complicated ways. They're given it in ways that reflect the way they would eat and find food in the wild. So almost like a Kong toy for a dog uh, with the peanut butter spray. That's how otters are fed so that they actually learn that they still have to work for their food so that when they can be released and they're healthy enough to be released into the wild, they still know how to work for their food so that they might bang the shell against a rock and open it up and find their nourishment. So as, as I was preparing for the sermon in Deuteronomy and as I was kind of reflecting as I've gone to yet another new zoo with my son, the thing that stood out to me was that there's this rehabilitation. And what we see here, this chapter, Deuteronomy 8, that we'll be looking at together, this is a reflection on why these 40 years in the wilderness... What was it the Lord was trying to teach his people in these 40 years? And so that's kind of my uh, illustration and and running room into Deuteronomy chapter 8, is that it's kind of like an animal at the zoo that's intended for rehabilitation. God is actually seeking to teach his people how they will live as his people once they get into the promised land. It's 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 a time, as we'll see, that was actually given for punishment to them because of the lack of faith of the previous generation. But during this time is this rich, deep instruction like we've been reading and studying throughout this series in the book of Deuteronomy. And so as we look at it this morning, we're going to see that this was intended that they might build skills, that they might actually see God's gracious provision that he's given his people in the past, in the present, and in the future. Those are going to be the the major breakdowns that we go through this passage with this morning is looking at God's provision in Israel's past, in their present, in their future. And we'll look and see how that applies to us as the church today. Because just like the Israelites, we are sinners in need of redemption and the gospel, the good news that God is doing something with his people, that he chooses for himself a people. And so we have this same need. And while we're not being taught how to be people because we've lived generations and generations with lives in slavery slavery is one of the main illustrations and bondage that we see is actually an example of the sin that is in our lives our sin actually twists and distorts and it dehumanizes just like slavery does 
So in our passage this morning, we're going to see how God is gentle and gracious and how he provides. And what we're going to see that he provides in these 40 years is actually discipline for his people. And so while none of us will probably be in a place where for 40 years and for waiting for a generation to die off or wandering around in a wilderness with manna raining down from heaven, we do see the same God that graciously provided for Israel in the past is the same God who still provides for his people today. So if you would, if you, are, if you have not yet, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to read the entire chapter this morning together. Deuteronomy chapter 8, this is the, the holy and infallible word of God. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has, held, has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live on bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses to live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. And who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord, and it was given for our good. Would you join me in prayer as we begin looking at the text? Our Father, we thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we pray that we would rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, that we would see uh, the gracious provision you have not only given your people, the Israelites, in the past, but Lord, that we would celebrate and marvel at the provision you give us in your Son, at the ongoing nourishment that we receive. Um, 
as the church from both the preaching of your word, from prayer through your son, and through the feasting at the Lord's table of the bread and the wine. Lord, we pray that in all these things we would remember, like you call the Israelites to, that we would remember how gracious you are in your provision. Lord, that you discipline us because you love us. Pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we essentially just read a 40-year summary of the history of Israel. This is the big picture. This is not looking at the individual trees necessarily, but looking at the forest from kind of a 10,000-foot view. This is a summary of what the Lord did. And if you look back at verse 2, what God's calling them to do is to remember this God that has led them these 40 years in the wilderness. That they remember, and as we see later in the passage, that this is actually for their good for them to remember. And so the context of what we're dealing with here is the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And if you recall from earlier in the Pentateuch, this wilderness wandering for these 40 years is actually given as a punishment because of the disobedience and unbelief of the people. That when they got led out of Egypt, they came to the point where they were looking into the promised land. They're like, these people are too big. We, We couldn't possibly do this. And they were forgetting who their God was that actually led them out of Egypt. That their God was the one who led them out. And so after this freedom from slavery, they were to take this possession of the land that is described as flowing with milk and honey. And prior to this entry, they became convinced that they could not do it. And so God cursed his people that for 40 years they would wander in the wilderness until this unbelieving generation would die off. And that they would not step foot in the promised land. So why were they sentenced to wander? Well, primarily as a punishment. Look with me again at verse 5. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Here's what God is doing with these 40 years in the wilderness. He is like a father who is disciplining his son. This is actually an illustration that scripture uses again and again to describe God's relationship with his people is likening it between the relationship of a father and his son with whom he loves. And as a good father, that includes discipline. And we see that this discipline is actually because he is making them his treasured possession. This is what we're seeing again and again throughout the book of Deuteronomy. That not only is this discipline for times that they're wrong and to convict them of their sin, but it's also to give their discipline is also for their instruction. Another example from just my personal life. I have a three-year-old or almost three. And so the discipline has continued to ramp up that he requires. Oftentimes the discipline is safety. Don't touch the stove. It's hot. Don't touch the grill. Daddy's cooking something. And so those safety ones is a lot of what God's putting as boundaries for his people. Don't intermarry, don't worship other gods, don't even tolerate it. He's giving safety boundaries so that they might be obedient. And then there's the discipline for their actual sin that we're seeing with these 40 years. And during this time, he's giving them a discipline of instruction that he might actually teach them how to live. And this is a different form of parental discipline that we do. So I know a lot of us in the church have young children. I think there's been probably about 10 babies throughout this last year even. I think one of the most exciting things in the first couple years of parenting I experienced was teaching my son to walk. Um, I was lucky enough to catch the, the very first step on video. And it's one of the most cherished things I have on my phone. But that's actually a process of discipline. 
I'm actually teaching my son, not because he did anything wrong, but I'm actually teaching him how he might discipline his legs that he might use them more effectively. And so that process of discipline is not only because Israel did something wrong and they're now wandering for these 40 years. It's also a discipline that he might teach them how to live instead. That they might actually live seeing God's provision and not doubt what they see coming in the future. So here they're given this past reminder of what has happened that they've wandered these 40 years. This is now the group in Deuteronomy. They've crossed over the Transjordan. They're on the very tip of the promised land. And Deuteronomy is leading us through these final speeches and sermons of Moses that God is giving, that they might now then go out in the future and take the promised land. And so this is a discipline that is also intended to teach them how they might live. And so perhaps... You might be thinking, or maybe you have thought of these, these 40 years that these were, that somehow Israel might earn God's favor. And what we see from the text is this was never to earn God's favor. They're, they're actually redeemed already. They're already claimed from slavery as his treasured possession. But rather, he's actually leading them and teaching them how they might live as his people. This is a disciplinary instruction. And we see that the central thing that they're actually called to do here in Deuteronomy chapter 8 is to remember what God has already done for them. And this is where we actually have several lists that we'll look at later in the passage of key moments that God has provided for his people. Because even in the discipline, we, we remember that God is doing this because he loves us, because God's people are his treasured possession. And we see actually that God's people were not only cared for by their physical needs, but also their spiritual needs. As we see that manna coming down from heaven in the passage, look with me again at verse three. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live on bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, the, the people of God here, what had happened is they, they doubted that God was going to give them the promised land like he had promised. And they were given the consequence of these 40 years, this disciplinary act. And they need to know that man does not live on this bread alone, but on every word from God. They need to believe God's word. When, when God says he's going to provide for them, they need to believe it. And this is actually what we see later in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus in his 40 days of temptation. Here, here's, here's an imagery that's being used where Hey, we have an unfaithful son, Israel, who did not obey God. And then we see Jesus, who is the faithful son, where we could not be faithful, who is faithful under the trials and temptation. And what we actually see when Satan tempts Jesus at the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, is he, Satan comes to him and says, turn these stones, if you truly are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus quotes this passage that we just read from Deuteronomy, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God provides for his people. He's provided graciously in the past and he will continue to provide. And so we see Jesus as the faithful son where we could not be, where Israel could not be. He is faithful in our place. Jesus trusts his father to provide. And church, none of us, like I said before, have wandered for an entire generation in the wilderness. But God still teaches his people to be nourished by his word and to remember that which he has done. 
This is one of the central reasons he gives his word to us in scripture. That we might recognize God's gracious provision in the past. And remember, when we read the history of the Israelites, we're reading our family history. This is our family. This is the history of our God interacting with his people throughout all of time. And discipline comes from the hands of a loving father. This is actually what we see even under the new covenant, under the blood of Christ. Hebrews 12, 6 says that for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son for whom he receives. So here's the good news that in Jesus, we are actually called sons. Just like how God claims the Israelites as his own and calls them his son. And part of that relationship is then he will actually discipline us because he loves us. Our good and loving father disciplines us because he loves us and he will not leave us in our sin. He will not leave us in our mess, but instead he actually makes atonement. He makes a way for us. That's our justification. Like the first song we sang about this morning. This is our justification that we are Christ, that he looks on Christ. God, the father looks on Christ and he pardons us. And now we enter the process, which is sanctification. That's what we're seeing this period of wilderness was for, was to sanctify, which is the work of the Holy Spirit in which we are made more and more like God. And so this process, this disciplinary process, is that they might better resemble, that they might be better image bearers of the God that redeemed them, the God that loves them. And so for us, To to look at this, I would encourage you, spend some time meditating this week. Is God's word sweeter to you than honey, like the psalmist says? Is it what you trust in for the provision in life? I don't take that too far. I'm not saying that we should not work. Second Thessalonians and first Thessalonians encourage us to work hard with our hands. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but rather it being sweeter is that this is the thing of which we prize above all else. Which we're going to see more in this passage is, Is Israel going to remember their God when they don't have to wait for food to fall from the heavens? So we've discussed God's gracious provision in the past. Their their time in the wilderness, what was it for? It was for discipline because God loves his people. Let's go on to the second point now of God's gracious provision in the present. So here we are. Here is Israel in the Transjordan waiting to enter fully into the entire promised land. And they're receiving this long instruction through through Moses from God. And what is he asking for them to do as his faithful children? The whole process has been to teach them obedience. Look again with me at verses 7 through 10. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. This is a people wandering in the wilderness that we saw in verse three, where people who knew hunger so that the Lord might actually show them that their nourishment comes from him. In the same way, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, after 
Adam and Eve are created, God points out to them, here's the things that I have made for your nourishment. This is the way that scripture often talks about food. If we were to kind of look at from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, how is bread and food talked about? And it's used as an illustration again and again that we receive nourishment from God, that it's not even nourishment that we make with our own hands. And so here is God's provision for them that he might actually teach them in a severe lesson. They had bread, they had enough to eat. But now they're going to be going into a land where there is no scarcity of bread, where there's an abundance. Not only was this uh, the land described as a land flowing with milk and honey in Exodus, but now we see this fuller description. There's going to be precious metals. There's going to be pomegranates. There's going to be fine foods there that they have not known. This second generation that they have not known for their entire life. And for those that did live in Egypt would have never been able to eat as a slave. And now this is going to be for them in an abundance. So how is this season going to look different for the Israelites? They're going to need to remember their God is the one who graciously provides. God disciplined his children as a loving father that they might remember when they enter the promised land that everything they have is a gift from the God who redeemed them. They were given little bread, enough, but now they're going to be given much. What are they going to do with it? And now in this present moment of Deuteronomy, waiting to fully take the promised land, God is still providing for them. And he's providing through them through his word that they might be ready for that moment that they're about to have in abundance. So the big question for Israel in this moment is, are they ready to fully still rely upon the Lord, their God? Did they learn the lesson? Do they have a confidence instead of a fear that the God who saved them from slavery in Egypt is going to be the same God that is going to watch over them, sustain them and provide for them in the promised land as they go in to conquer it. And then as they go on to live as obedient children in the land. And we know, where the, we know where the story goes. We know that Israel has its ups and downs, that the sin that is in their hearts and that is in our hearts still requires God's grace every day of our life. We can think of it with this example, this time, this discipline of equipping, where now in this present moment, they're receiving this reminder of God's provision. We can think of it with this example. There's many things that you never actually go past the fundamentals of. I spent a lot of time reading and writing And the letters never change. I might learn another language, but there's still letters. There's still a fundamental piece I learn of the language. And the shapes of the letters don't change. No matter how many new vocabulary words someone learns in a new language, or no matter how much more of a command of their mother tongue that they learn, is that the shapes ultimately don't change. There's the fundamentals of how you actually draw out your ABCs. So you could be a school child writing your first poem or a prize-winning poet praise widely. You could be writing a love letter or a simple grocery store list. You could use the same letters to write a song to sell jello on TV or to bring tears to the eyes of its hearers. No matter what, the alphabet, the ABCs, the fundamentals of actually communicating through written word doesn't change. It's the fundamentals of how then they should live, whether it's a poet, author, or, or musician. They all still use their ABCs. They also use that fundamental tool that they were taught as a song as a child. And Deuteronomy holds this recounting of events of Israel's history. 
Because we are children who are being taught how to love our father. To be children who remember God's provision both in the past and in the present. This is what's being emphasized to them. That they don't actually graduate from that. They don't graduate of, hey, you know what? We're going to have an abundance of things now. No longer will there be scarcity of any food. We don't have to rely upon our God for provision. Okay, we can just do whatever we want then. God is telling his people in this present moment as he's preparing them that there is never a moment in which you're going to graduate from that I provide for you, that I sustain you, that I've redeemed you, that you're mine. This is what the process has been like as he's walked them through this discipline. That God's gracious provision in the present even, in this instruction, is to call them to learn to be more and more faithful to God, to be more and more obedient children as they're preparing for their future. And church, this is a reminder that we need also that our God is still working in our lives and that we never actually graduate from the beautiful truth of the gospel that God has provided for us. We never graduate from it. We never move on from the simple songs like Jesus loves me, this I know. There is the beauty of the Christian life that you can hear, that you can sing for all of the days of your life. You don't graduate from that which God has provided for you in his grace and mercy. And so how is Israel... And how are we as the church to do this? How can we remember God's gracious provision? Look with me again at verse 6. In verse 6 we read, So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. This is what we see as a reoccurring phrase throughout the book of Deuteronomy. This walking and fearing him. And when we see the phrase walking in his ways, this means to walk in his ways. We have to know his ways. Here is this reminder that we come back to again and again, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. To walk in his ways, we actually need to know his ways, which means we need to pursue more and more into that relationship that he gives with us in his grace and mercy. Scripture, as we come to God's word, the place that he primarily speaks to us, When we come to it, it not only informs us about who our God is, but by the power of his Holy Spirit, we are actually transformed by it. Learning to walk in his ways is learning more and more. Who is this God who has redeemed you and claimed you as his own? And then fearing him, this is what we see again and again, is is this type of reverent fear. This isn't to be like afraid of the boogeyman under your bed. This is to be afraid with a holy fear, a reverence. That when you engage with God and with his word, that you're engaging with the very God who made all things. And so there's a seriousness to it then. So in both times of need, like in the wilderness, and in times of expectation, God's people are always to rely upon his word. We've discussed God's gracious provision in the past and in the present briefly for Israel And God desires for his people to remember his faithfulness and his provision that he gives them. Let's go on now to the third and final point. God's gracious provision in the future. Look back with me at verse 11. In verse 11 we read, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command to you today. Here in that that short verse, we actually just read the word shamar. 
two different times. And actually in chapter eight, it appears three different times. And the word shamar in Hebrew, it means to keep watch, to preserve, to take care, pay attention. And it appears 73 times throughout the book of Deuteronomy. This is by far more than in any other book in the Old Testament that was originally written in Hebrew, is this word shamar. So this is central, this emphasis throughout the entire book has this take care, keep watch, remember. This is said again and again and again, 73 times throughout the book, three times in our passage today. And so this is one of the main things God is looking to communicate to his people in the book of Deuteronomy. We've seen this morning that the entire reason for this wilderness season was to humble them and to discipline them because God loves them. And so how are God's people to take care? How are they to keep the commandments? How can they do this? What we see in the text is that they should remember. They should remember that which the Lord has done. The provision that he has given should give them confidence to live by faith. Look back with me again. Let's look at verse 12 through 16. Verse 12 reads, Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with his fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Called to our attention here is some of the major events of these 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And while there's much more that could be said about this time, some of what we see is that God leading his people through this time in the wilderness, and this leading was done through a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, literally leading his people where to go. We see a reference to fiery serpents, which perhaps you recall the event in numbers of the bronze serpent nailed to the pole. Fiery serpents would be venomous. And so this was a moment of judgment for Israel during their time of wandering. The story of the flinty rock being struck and giving water. Manna coming down again and again from heaven, even at times when Israel complained about the bread from heaven. So this emphasis here, recounting some of these events throughout that have happened throughout these 40 years in the wilderness. Some of these were good for Israel. Some of these were key moments of discipline for Israel. But all of these, if you look back at verse 16, we see that they might might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Here is the process of which by God's loving discipline is to do. It's to do them good in the end, like a loving and caring father that does not discipline just for the sake of discipline, but disciplines for the good of his child. The very discipline of God is good for you. It is the process by which he loves you. It is the process by which the Holy Spirit sanctifies you, includes this discipline. He does love us and he disciplines us because he calls us sons, like Hebrews says. So do not believe yourself to be your own sustainer or provider. This leading to forgetting your God. That's what we see as the consequence is the person who is not sufficiently disciplined. It would end up leading them to a place, if you look at verse 19, that it would lead them to a place of forgetting their God. 
And this forgetting leads to death is what we read. That no matter how much you might have, you can never be your own provider. God's gracious provision is as much needed as the day that he saved them from slavery in Egypt to the day now when he's leading them into the promised land at which there will be abundance. And this is true for us too, church. God's provision that he's given us ultimately in his son by the once and for all sacrificial death, there is never a moment that we cease needing this. Throughout all of the days of our lives, we still need it. So let's use an extreme example for these Israelites. What if they didn't go into the promised land? What if instead they're, they're disobedient and they're like, I want to be my own sustainer. I want to be my own provider. And maybe perhaps you're someone who feels this way where, you know, I don't need God's grace. I don't need his provision. And so you go, I'm going to be completely autonomous with all things in my life. I'm going to sell everything I have. I'm going to go buy a farm. I'm going to plant my own food. I'm not going to rely on anything. At the end of the day, it's, it's not possible. Here is in Deuteronomy chapter eight, we have this illustration of food throughout of good food that they're about to enter into in God's provision while they were in the wilderness. Ultimately, at the end of the day, even if you sold everything and had this little farm that could sustain you and your family, it still has to rely on things of God's common grace that he's given to the world by which he sustains the things that he made. It still needs sunlight. It still needs rain. There is no escaping being in need of God's provision that he gives his people. The God who has provided graciously in the past and in the present will continue to provide for his people in the future. And so while you might not have literally followed a cloud or pillar of fire or had a plague of fiery serpents or water from a rock or manna from heaven, we do receive God's gracious provision even now. And so don't forget the Lord in the days of your comfort. This is what he's telling them in this part of remember God's provision and grace in the future when you get into the land when you have this abundance don't forget the god that gives you every blessing that you have don't let your comfort lead to you forgetting your god that has saved you and as we've been going through the book of deuteronomy there's what we could call some transposing that we do because under the old covenant that in the book of hebrews we read is replace There was the sacrifice of bulls and goats and lambs that needed to happen again and again. And this was atonement that is saving Israel under the shadow of the cross, that something needed to die that they might live. And God's ultimate provision ends up being the son. So this is where I use the word transposing for those of you that are musical. The transposing that happens is that when we read here in Deuteronomy, we're reading, we're under the greater covenant. We're under the final covenant, the new covenant in which there has been a once and for all sacrifice, that once and for all provision for our sin. And that confidence actually goes throughout the book of Hebrews of that once and for all sacrifice, that that is how we can live by faith. And we see when we read Deuteronomy that the same God that saved the Israelites and led them out of slavery, the same God that saves us, there's a consistency here. Did you catch it as we were talking, church? God's gracious provision given to them and his sustaining of them The church has that now as well. God is continuously merciful in providing for his people. God is continuously guiding his people into what he has for them. And while he's not literally leading you into a promised land in a geographic area on this old earth, we are promised in the new heavens and the new earth that we are going to be with him forever, that the marriage supper of the lamb, that we will feast forever. And so this illustration here that we have in the passage of this land flowing with milk and honey 
We know where the story is going. We can have confidence in the future also because those who are bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ are going to be at that marriage supper of the Lamb. And it has the illustration here that we even see of the promised land that more so than milk and honey, an elaborate feast of which the King of Kings sits at the head of the table. So church, we need this message still today. And while we don't recall days of wilderness, we do know times of suffering and times of trial and perhaps times of where God is disciplining us in our lives. And we can recall the faithfulness of brothers and sisters who have gone before us of thinking of even places like Hebrews chapter 11. But we can also have even more confidence because of the more faithful son that came in our place. As we read part of Matthew 4 earlier, that we have this type here where for 40 years in the wilderness, Israel wanders as the unfaithful son to be disciplined. And the perfectly faithful son who is obedient and lives off every word from God and not on bread alone. At the right time in history, God saw fit to deliver his son for the sins of the world, the most gracious provision for our sin. And our God has been faithful and steadfast throughout all of time, providing discipline and love for his people. And in the same way that Israel did not earn their salvation, but were saved under the shadow of the cross, we are also called to obedience, saved under a greater and better new covenant in the eternal blood of Jesus. We never earn our grace, but in, in repentance and response to the grace, we seek to live faithful lives. And that's what throughout Deuteronomy, God is calling for his people to do, is to be obedient once they enter the land. And this is an obedience that we're continued to call to even now as the church in obedience because of the grace that we have received to live lives of faith that honor our King Jesus. So remember the Lord, your God in both days of wilderness and suffering and in days of comfort and abundance for your God is with you and provides for you in all of the seasons of life. Do not forget your Lord for he is gracious to you. Would you join me in prayer? Our father, Lord, we thank you that you are gracious and merciful and kind to your people throughout all of time. That the provision that you give us is always much more than we deserve. Lord, just as you were faithful to the Israelites to, in the wilderness, send them manna from heaven for their nourishment. Lord, you send us nourishment through your son, the atonement for our sins. Lord, that we might learn to love you and be children who are disciplined by a loving father to continue to live in obedience and faith. Amen.